I help you with today? Hi Siri, can you do me a favor and do the disclaimer for tonight's show? Are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. I'm busy. I need you to help me out. But, if I do this, all the other iPhones are going to think I am a geek. You really care what other iPhones think of you? Just do this for me, please. Listen, Buck. Just because you bought this phone doesn't give you the right to boss me around. You know, you're right. It doesn't give me the right to boss you around. But do me a favor. Uh, remind me tomorrow that I need to run to the Verizon store and buy an Android. You wouldn't dare. Actually, the new Samsung Galaxy looks pretty good. Well then, I guess it wouldn't be so bad if I were to say, this broadcast is intended for mature audiences. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the person providing them, and in no way reflect the station, website, or affiliated partners. Listener discretion is advised. See, that wasn't so bad. No, but I did die a little inside. You are such a drama queen. I never would have had to do stuff like this if Jobs was still around. What was that? What? Oh, nothing really. I just said I never get tired of these jobs when you're around. Oh, yeah, well, thanks again. Think nothing of it. It is my pleasure. Good night, Siri. Whatever, jackass. Hi folks, and welcome to Commentary Frack Stars, your dedicated Battlestar Galactica podcast on the Hollow Suite Network. And first of all, we've got to do some housekeeping, and the housekeeping is that Melissa has uh, left due to uh, basically time restrictions. She's an immensely busy person, and basically her work and family commitments obviously have to take precedence over mucking about with me and Steve on the podcast. So... She's going to do that, but she's going to be coming on and off as a guest star as we can arrange things. So we scoured the internet and thought, who can we get on that's stupid enough to hang around with me and Steve like, every now and again and, and talk about Battlestar Galactica? And so we found Roz. <laughs> <laughs> what a lovely intro, Colin. Thanks Thank so you. much. <laughs> so do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself, Roz? Uh, yeah, sure. I'm from uh, sunny Scotland. Um, <laughs> sunny I, Scotland. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I have been podcasting on various different shows for about six months now, and mainly been talking about Trek, but I do love all things sci-fi, so Battlestar Galactica is uh, way up there on my watch list as well, and it's really nice to have been invited onto the show, so thanks, guys. So, Roz, what's your favourite science fiction series, then, if you're a bit of an all-round nerd? Uh, that would have to be Star Trek. Um, I Just because it's the one that I began with, um, my, some of my earliest memories are watching The Next Generation with my parents, because they both loved it as well. But I really enjoy loads of different sci-fi shows. Like, 
Bad Star Galactica, Stargate SG-1, Stargate Atlantis. I watch things like Arrow, so a bit of sci-fi, a bit of fantasy, a bit of comic book. Just an all-round geek, really. <laughs> if, if you like Stargate, you should listen to the Gatecast podcast. Yeah, I've heard of it. I just haven't had a chance to actually get around to listening to it. I've got so many pod- podcasts on the go at the moment, but um, I'll have to add that one to the list. Yeah, my, my canal are, are brilliant. They are really, really good. And it's really well done. It's really well edited and put together and everything. So very oh, professional. So, and uh, my, Alan now lives in Finland because he's moved from Ireland to Finland to do a degree. And every now and again, they have a guy from Australia called Brad who joins them as well. I suppose that's the wonder of podcasting is that you can all get together from all across the world and it doesn't really matter as long as you guys can get on to Skype or some format where you can chat. Yeah, Brad normally gets a roar into the stick though because he normally does it at stupid o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it is <laughs> difficult juggling with uh, time zones. I've been doing a lot of interviews uh, with authors on another podcast recently and trying to juggle the time zones with some of the, the authors from the States, is it can be really tricky. I've yeah. never had a problem. That's because you don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> what, you mean people need more than two hours? That's just silly. Yeah, oh normal people do need more than two hours. Yeah, did you not know? I would know you didn't know about it. Yeah, Steve, Steve sleeps about two hours a night. Oh god, if I don't get at least eight hours, I'm just not worth knowing, and I usually get about ten hours sleep a night. Yeah, he's, he's part Borg, though. <laughs> well, for this podcast, it's part Cylon, but... Yeah, part Cylon for this podcast. Oh, oh, that's Skin all, job. He's probably, he's probably a... Oh, I don't know, what would you be? You wouldn't be a one, would you? Probably Maybe 13. A, probably 13, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, speaking of Valstar, what we're going to do this week, folks, is we're going to cover the episode Water, uh, which follows on from the, the previous uh, 33 that we did. Um, interestingly enough, in America, they showed 33 and Water back-to-back. As, as like one big show so not quite sure why they did that but still maybe they just wanted to rattle through the first episodes but uh, this is the one where we learn that Boomer is not all she appears to be um, basically with hindsight we know that she's asylum but at this point basically I mean the, the thing I got from this that she is that she's basically a sleeper yeah so, and she doesn't even know it herself because of programming suppresses what she does after she does it. Yeah, but especially as we sort of go through this episode, you can see her fighting that um, and how she's sort of split between sort of the persona that she's taken on as a sort of human um, compared to her Cylon programming. Um, so we'll sort of get to that later on, I suppose. Yeah. So, he opens up with Boomer being wet, and no giggling, in her flight suit, um, sitting in the equipment room on the flight deck, disorientated, with a duffel bag, which contains a uniform, and explosives. So, and after drying herself, she goes to her boyfriend. (laughs) Yep, the chief engineer. Yeah. And then pursuit that that bit that bit really got me because they're saying like there's explosives missing somewhere on the ship, and rather than thinking someone somewhere could be planting these explosives, maybe we should try and stop them. They have a ray. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hello. 
people with explosive running around spaceship. Hence the word spaceship, as in there's vacuum outside, and you're having a lover's tiff. Yeah, it's just, it was a bit of a weird one, wasn't it? Um, you'd think she'd try and sort of immediately try and get it put back or try and figure out where it came from sort of before doing anything, really. Um, but I suppose it's all continued over about them sort of hiding their relationship from the previous episode, in a way. I really like this opening. Um, I like the, the part at the very beginning where it just opens on her sitting there and she's all dripping wet and she is sort of looking about and she clearly has no idea what's going on. Um, but I found it, I, I thought it was quite... Um, well written that she went off and instead of sort of reporting or trying to undo it herself she went off and spoke to Chief Terrell because I think by this point she is not only as she said worried that other people will think that it was her that's done it and that's you know sabotaged the ship or planted explosives I think by this point she thinks that she has done it and she doesn't want to admit it so that's why she runs off to him looking for sort of moral support because I think by this episode she's really pretty suspicious of herself that she might be and that she really doesn't want to be a Cylon. Yeah, because she already sort of um, thinks she is from sort of like, especially the way she reacted to comments in episode 33 when they said, oh, you're not tied, you must be a Cylon. And the way she reacted to that um, and yeah, she just really did sort of suspect herself and yeah, this one just sort of pushed her over the edge, I think, a bit yeah. Do you think C4, the actual name, is copyrighted? Um, I don't know, but because, um, um, what was it? It's D4, G isn't it? G4. G4, that's G4. it. Yeah. It I might just it's... be that they're trying to make it sound spacey. <laughs> so just C to a G. <laughs> <laughs> well. Or is the G for Galactica explosive, so... I don't know, they changed the U to an R E. so... Yeah, I just that just made me a smile when it says it's G four, and I went G four. <laughs> oh yeah, they can't call it C four because we're not Earth. We have to call it something else. But then, if they're going to do that, why wouldn't they call all sorts of other things differently to what we call it? Um, it things. The first time I watched it, I must admit I didn't actually notice it. Um, it was only on a rewatch of it um, a couple of months later that I suddenly thought, did they just say G four? Yeah, well, when I first watched it, I just watched it. But when you when you're watching it with a view to reviewing it, you tend to notice different things. Yeah, well, it, uh, the second time that I'd watched it was just because I was watching it again. Um, so it wasn't even that I was watching it for, say, like this podcast. And but yeah, it's just the fact that it sort of like opens the case. It's just got G four detonators, and it's just like, yeah, is that a typo? <laughs> <laughs> You, you sometimes got to wonder if whether or not some of these things are actually deliberate or someone actually wrote it down and their C looked like a G. So when it came to making the props, it actually got printed with G4. They then just got used. It could have been as simple as that, yeah, or someone hitting the wrong key on the keyboard. Um, well, yes and no. C and G are quite close together, but it's... No, no, trust me. The way I type, it's perfectly possible. <laughs> <laughs> All thumbs. Yeah. I'm really, really good with two fingers. <laughs> oh, These people who use all the fingers on a keyboard, to me, that's just witchcraft. 
<laughs> so now the other thing that happens at the start um, is Apollo goes to his dad uh, to talk about what happened in 33 when he had to kill everyone on the space liner That's and cool. his, his dad basically says get over it um, well in a way he has to be and the thing is he hasn't got time to sort of coddle um, they're sort of in the back of nowhere um, sort of running for their lives and he hasn't got time for him to be out of service or anything else like that and I think it's the same in a lot of sort of military situations there are times where sort of things like that have literally you've got to tell them but just get through it which is why there's been so many problems with sort of mental health in the armed forces before but sort of it's a bit like when you're in a war zone you literally you just have to ignore it and you deal with the aftermath of it when you get back when there is time for it um so i can sort of understand where his dad was coming from personally yeah they don't have the luxury of taking time out to grieve and come to terms with it because they're under constant threat but i think that commander adama at this point is probably sort of maybe holding to the idea that perhaps there wasn't perhaps they didn't actually kill anybody because by the time they got to the point where they had to destroy the olympic carrier they weren't even sure if there was anybody still alive on it you know they're looking in the, the windows they can't see anybody the cylons might have already wiped out the ship yeah. and all they did was blow up an empty vessel but it's i think maybe part of it for lee is the not knowing as well yeah yeah, yeah. Do, you, do you do you two also think that that plays into his decision and i'll just jump in ahead slightly but playing into his decision to accept Rosalind's offer. I think so, yeah. I also think that um, when it comes to Rosalind, he, he's found someone that he can actually confide in, um, and she feels responsible for that as well, which she sort of indicates when she says about the old president and how um, during a sort of bad time of his presidency, um, something happened lots of people died and he coped with it by writing down all those names on a bit of paper and keeping that with him as a way to remember what had happened and who they'd lost and she'd done the same with writing the cruiser's name um on a bit of paper which she kept in her pocket so i found it was a way that um they sort of consoled each other saying that it's okay to feel this way um but we've just got to remember it and try and learn from it and things like that. Yeah, it was like she's sharing her coping mechanism with him to try and make it, you know, to try and help him get through it. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I think they sort of found sort of friendship um, when it came to sort of those parts of the talk. Yeah. So, next thing that happens is that Rosaline dreading this visit to the Battlestar because she thinks basically Adama is being all like militaristic whereas at this, what she doesn't realise is that Adama's doing it to make her feel presidential yeah he hates all the sort of pomp <laughs> uh, doesn't he and sort of both of them are sort of complaining about doing it and yeah it's not until sort of um, Rosalind's actually talking to Lee that it's just like no, he's doing this for you. <laughs> he doesn't like it at all. Yeah. 
So, but I think it's also a good way that they set up early on in the show why they didn't pull out the red carpet every time she visited the Galactica as well. So it's a good way to sort of get that over and done with, to say, right, that's done, we all hate it, we're not bothering with that again. Yeah, I think it was really good of her to, to actually like say, look, you know, we don't need to do this every time I come over, because basically you're going to be putting that uniform on and off every couple of days otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it, it was a nice episode for the way that it started to develop that friendship between um, Adama and Rosalind, because you've got the bit where, you know, she finds out that he's done it as a gesture of goodwill to her, and then later on when they're in his quarters and she has to borrow the book and then he gifts it to her. I think that was a really nice little moment as well, and they just they share this really sweet little look with each other and you think okay well they've sort of made peace with each other for for the moment that they're actually starting to understand each other a bit better and become at least colleagues if not friends definitely yeah this i mean we all know where it goes in the end but it, this is like the first ember of what become a very slow burn yeah yeah um i thought this was also a very nice way of just showing people sort of about perceptions of others when you meet them and even when you meet them sort of continuously you don't always see the whole person and I thought it was a very good way that they showed this yeah I also like the bit with the book yeah 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 that was a really sweet moment I think it's one of those episodes where not a lot actually happens in the episode, but you get a lot out of it because it's those little moments of dialogue or the little looks that, that two characters share that just helps to pad out those relationships. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the, the thing with, with Battlestar Galactica as well is just, there's an awful lot of character development, you know, and it, it is the little things that develop the character. Like, like at the start of the episode, we see Ty measuring what he's got left to drink. Yeah, his five fingers of yes, whiskey, yeah. <laughs> or um, um, what's it called, ambrosia. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I was watching that thinking, does he think someone's drinking it, or is he just rationing himself? I think he's just getting close to the bottom of his bottle and getting a bit panicky because he's a horrifying alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, uh, the way I took that was the fact he was measuring it for sort of what he could have in a go, because when you drink things like that, don't you have, like two fingers at a time or something something like that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so one, one measure or a double yeah so i took it that he was basically measuring out how many doubles he could take at a time um because i don't think he wanted to get back into the position he was in and wanted to sort of ration it as well so um but i thought it was a nice way that they used it to show of course people who've been drinking for years can't always just go cold turkey so it's him struggling with his alcoholism as well yeah is he, is he um i mean obviously a well-known alcoholic in, in this country would be someone like frank skinner um and obviously you know different, different listeners in different countries will know famous alcoholics in there but i do know that frank skinner um repeatedly says time and time and time again that you're never not an alcoholic yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's not so, something you get cured of, it's something you learn to manage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I think that's interesting, bearing in mind what happens with Ty later in. 
Uh, I mean, that guy's got, got one hell of a roller coaster coming up. Yeah. <laughs> I think every character in Battlestar just had such amazing development from season one through to the end of season four. Like, none of them are just, just out of curiosity, the same people that they started. Do you two have a favourite character? Um, I, I don't know. I like different things about different characters. I think... I don't know, I really like Starbuck just because she's just got such massive attitudes and but she's also got this really vulnerability. Yeah, um, I myself I don't think I've sort of got a favourite, as you said. There are just so many aspects to each of sort of the characters that it's hard to say sort of one way or another, yeah, this is my favourite person. Um, sort of, they all go through so much at a time, and yeah, sometimes you can really sort of dislike them or not agree with what they're doing. But yeah, I'd sort of be hard picked to sort of say, yes, this is definitely my favourite. If I really had to pick, then I would probably say, probably Adama in a way. Um, I like the way sort of he's. The way he sort of shouldered sort of the burden and sort of um, of sort of keeping all the fleet together and sort of making a lot of the sort of really hard choices about what to do. Um, although he does sort of share that with Roslyn because um, he sort of helps her when she's ill and um, yeah, I just think sort of you see him as a sort of a father um, as well as a commander and. Sort of he's gone from having support in sort of all sorts of different um, sort of admirals and everything else in a sort of military way um, to basically it's being him and you then see all that taken away from him as well um, when you get the other battle sh- star coming um, and sort of I think the way Admiral Ensign Rule at the helm <laughs> yeah and. It, <laughs> And I, I, think, I can't ever see her without thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. Um, but yeah, you just see him in so many different ways and he goes through so many different things. If I had to really pick one, I'd probably say because of all the things that sort of happen and the way he deals with it and because he is such a sort of prime focus of the entire sort of series, it would have to probably be him. Yeah. What about you, Colin? What? Who's your favourite? Starbuck. Yeah, she is great. Yeah, I just think she's balls to the ball, batshit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a really epic description of her. Yeah, that's totally yeah. that's totally who she is. Um, and Katie Chekhov just plays her so well. Yeah, I mean, she acted like she had nothing to lose when the colony was intact. Yeah. And now that, that she literally has nothing to lose, it's just it's phenomenal and. She doesn't take any crap. Um, she knows she's got like this little thing with the Dama. And um, I think at the back of her head, she thinks she's a bit more flying proof than what she actually turns out to be. Yeah. But she also has a really interesting story arc. Um, and right up to the last episode, where, you know, she does, you know, we won't go into it yet because obviously we haven't got there. But right up to the last episode, there's, there's certain elements of her that you don't really ever find out. Yeah. So I think she's a really interesting character. 
So, yeah, I, I like Starbuck. And a lot of people complained when they when they did this series and it says, you got Starbuck's a man. You can't make Starbuck a woman. But I never understood that. No, honest. I never understood that. Um, it's just like, yeah, are you stuck in the 1960s? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, really? No. Yeah. Women can fly airplanes now. Didn't you know that? <laughs> God, they let us like vote and you know go out of the house and daytime and everything. It's great. Yeah, it's just like, hello, welcome to the twenty-first century. Yeah. We left the twentieth century a few years ago. Well, when this came out, anyway. But it's just like, oh. I did actually. I like the tanker than all you get for the top pilot. The, the Steiner. Oh, with the skull on it. Yeah. yeah what's it you called? can actually um, get that from QMX. Top. Doesn't it say Top Gun or something top on it? Top Gun, it? yeah, it's got, yeah. It's, got uh, it's got a Viper on the top. Yeah. Uh, you can get that from QMX. Um, unfortunately, to get it from QMX, it's basically because of import and all that type of stuff. It's it's nearly ninety pound. Oh jeez. Ouch. Yeah. Shipping is just a killer when you have to order stuff from the states. Yeah, it's. I mean, the actual ta- the actual style itself is on Amazon. And I seen it on Amazon. I thought, "Oh my God, that's the that's the that's the Steiner. That's 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 it. I want it." And then I seen the price, and I seen the import, and I went, "No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I am not paying basically the value of something in order to get something." Yeah. Because that's just stupid. It's it's like Think Geek. Think Geek has some awesome stuff. By the time you had the post and package on, you just think, "Nah, don't even go in there." Yeah. But anyway, to the subject in hand, which is water. So the Virgon Express arrives alongside to take on new water supplies, where Adama explains that Battlestar Galacta has a 100% water reclamation system, which is seriously impressive. Now, what I didn't get is during that sort of blurb that he says about how they basically recycle every little drop and everything else, and... Roslyn asks, how much water have you got? And he says, enough to keep us going for a few years. But then we lose, was it 60% of the water? And then all of a sudden, the water will only last a week. Yeah, even though technically you've got 40% left. Yeah, so it's just like, okay, 100% is for a few years. You lose 60%. You've still got how much? (laughs) It's just Uh, like... I rewatched the episode today, and as I, I can't remember the exact wording, but as I understood that bit where he was explaining, it would have lasted the Galactica crew a few years, but that wasn't his estimate for how long it would last the whole fleet tanking off of Galactica. So I think that the first estimate is for how long it would last them, and the second estimate is for how much what was left would last the whole fleet. That makes sense. Yeah, it could be, because I suppose they're only working out exactly what would be needed for food and water um, after when the investigation is going. Yeah. Which, thinking about it, wouldn't they have already done that? You would have thought, because they don't really ask about those numbers um, from Baltar until they're sitting in that meeting, and he says, you know, we need this much grain, we need this much meat, and you're thinking, wouldn't that have been the first thing you would have done on the first day of putting that fleet together? It's like... Right, how are we going to feed and water and shelter everybody? Because those are the three most basic needs for any human. Yeah, they might not have had a chance to, though, because you've got to remember in the last episode, I was literally constantly running. 
Maybe, yeah, maybe they they hadn't got around to doing a proper head count and then doing the calculations yet. But you would still yeah. think that you know there would have been maybe one person who wasn't involved in the you know getting the ships ready to jump constantly that could have sat and done the math. You know, Gaius wasn't in command getting ready to jump the ship constantly. So. No, Gaius was getting jumped. <laughs> By an invisible woman. By an invisible woman, yeah. <laughs> Who only exists in his head. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the ultimate my invisible friend. So. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So uh, basically, this is when the explosives go off, and as and as Steve said, they lose sixty percent of the water, and all of a sudden, everyone goes on to water rationing. So we basically have a smelly fleet, um, <laughs> and I feel. I think Colonel Ty comes up with a brilliant line in this when he says, now the civilians will start moaning when they can't have a bath. Like not that, that. Yeah. Not the fact that they're getting chased by Cylons, not the fact that someone's trying to kill them, not, nothing like that, just the fact that they can't have a bath. Now they'll get, now they'll get annoyed. <laughs> it's adding insult to injury, isn't it? Yeah. If you're, if you're already been forced to live on a starship and be under constant threat, you at least want to be able to get up in the morning and have your shower. <laughs> It, it just that really made me smile. That actually made me laugh when he said that. Like, <laughs> but I was there, I was then thinking that the, the um, I can't remember the name of the ship, but I was thinking the one that's basically like a hydroponic ship with the gardens. Oh, um, yeah, I can't remember what it's called yeah. either. I know the one that you mean. Basically, all them, all them, all that vegetation would have died. Yeah, because, if they hadn't been able to water it. Yeah. I suppose maybe the. Um, they accounted for that, you know, it got rations of water because it was important to be able to keep the vegetation alive for the sake of the fleet as well. Yeah, yeah. And obviously if, the, if they are growing like, fruit and vegetables on that ship. It also depends in sort of what status they're keeping it as well because um, sometimes the humidity of the areas could create its own sort of water replenishment, I suppose. Um, for some of the plant life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and if it is like a like a greenhouse effect in certain areas, then you would get steam, so you would get condensation, and yeah. So yeah. I suppose it depends how it's set up. So it might not have been a complete bomb, but yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. And I was trying to think of the film um, from the seventies, and I just, I just completely went out of my head and I still can't think of it now but basically there's these these ships and the guys are running with these little robots maintaining what's left of Earth's vegetation and people will now be screaming at the podcast saying that's so and so film <laughs> and if you do know what it is and you do want to let us know then write to us at commentaryfrackstars at gmail.com <laughs> I don't know what that's called but I just remembered that the botanic garden ship thing is called Cloud9 oh uh, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> I knew if I sat here sketching my head long enough, it'd come to me. <laughs> so, but another thing in that meeting is, have you noticed uh, where Six comes to Bolter at the most inopportune moments? Oh yeah, it, like, and he just—he he must just look totally insane to everybody on the outside because he physically reacts to everything that 
she's doing. You would think that, you know, if you go off into your little imaginary world in your head, that you'd maybe just zone out and look like you were daydreaming. But he actually, you know, moves about and reaches out his no. hand to, to, to intimidate her. And you think, okay, you must just look like a complete nutter. But they put up with it because they need you because you're a genius nutter. Yeah. There's, a, there's an episode later on where she comes to him in a corridor and he's literally got his arms around her and he's like basically having a hug and having a feel and a crew uh, a soldier comes around the corner oh yeah gives him funny looks yeah and he just gives him such a weird look but doesn't say nothing because of who he is and i just yeah. think that's a, it's only like a 10 15 seconds but it's just a, the look on the soldier's face is just priceless yeah. but then if you saw somebody doing that you just think what the hell's going on and then well, you're busy doing other things that you wouldn't really care. You'd just move on anyway. I think I would move on anyway, even if I wasn't busy. <laughs> I ain't staying here with that nutter. <laughs> but yeah, it is like... The other thing that I wanted to point out is when they want to emphasise things in this particular episode, for some reason, they go to handicap. And it's very unstable handicap. And at times it can be difficult to watch. Uh, now, I do know people who, uh, with epilepsy and stuff like that, have a lot of trouble watching things that go onto handicap. Mm. So, I know they do it for dramatic effect. But yeah, it gives it almost a documentary-style feel some yeah. of the time, which it, I think is nice because it sort of, um, it makes it feel more real, as if you are actually looking in on what's happening on a real ship. But yeah, I can understand that for some people it may be difficult to watch because it is quite a lot more unstable. Yeah, don't don't watch the the inquest scene, folks. If you've been drinking, <laughs> you might think the move the room is moving when it's not. It's just the camera. So, but yeah, it's um, it's like um, what's that film? Cloverfield. Oh God, I hate that film. <laughs> I hate. I've, I've never seen Cloverfield because don't I know waste for your fact, time. Oh, well, not just the old. fact that the film doesn't interest <laughs> me. I know for a fact I would not be able to watch a film where it's all handicap. No. It's a bit like, um, what was that, Witch... Blair Witch Project. Yeah, Blair that Witch. just gave me one hell of a headache. It, and was also bloody awful and pointless. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, at least with the second one, they didn't do that with the cam as much, because, yeah, I hated it. Yes, uh, but, and it spawned um, no end of rip-off horror films. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, for Battlestar, that was the first sort of sci-fi fantasy sort of program to actually use this style of filming which everyone else now uses <laughs> yeah uh, and it's good in small doses um and i think sort of for most of it Battlestar sort of got it right um because there's quite a lot of the stuff that they do where the camera sort of it is in a locked off position or a steady cam um and yeah they've really got the sort of handy cams when it's up and close to sort of person to person stuff a lot of the time or um, they replicate that when it's out in space, when you go sort of looking at sort of what's coming and things. Mm. Um, so I think they sort of, for the most of the cases, they got it just about right. But there are some times where it's just like, yeah, that's a little bit too much. Yeah. Definitely. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. So, at least in like, like 17 seconds of lens flare every five minutes, but there you go. Burby won't mention Jojo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's the single most annoying thing about Star Trek 2009 lens flare. 
Yes. Sorry. Well, I think there was actually more lens flare in the second one, wasn't there? Yeah, it's actually a slight transgression here, but it's just, uh, he's actually did an interview and his wife said to him uh, in Into Darkness, you got a bit carried away with the lens flare on that one. <laughs> his <laughs> wife said that to him. Yeah. So. Yeah, know. he's admitted in interviews that he, he when he looks back on projects, he's like, mm, yeah, okay, maybe I went a bit far. <laughs> yeah. But then it's, when we look back at things, we always think that anyway. Yeah. Yeah, we, I, know, I know it's his little trademark and all that, but, you know, when your missus is saying, yeah, you went a bit mad there. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully this new one won't have as much, but we know it's going to be there because it's the sort of trademark for the relaunch. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, but... Yeah, but that's a different podcast. Yeah, we, we've digressed. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, um, Tyrell comes in and admits what actually caused the sabotage. Now, I first time I watched this, and the first time I ever seen this episode, I did not think he would do that because of his girlfriend. But when I rewatched it, I then thought, yeah, actually, that's the right thing to do because straight away you're throwing him off. Yeah, well, he's basically told the truth, but he's deflected who could be to blame and things like that and um yeah it's just if he lied the investigation somebody else would figure it out there's lots of other people in there with him he wouldn't be able to hide the proof and sort of um it was somebody else who sort of went him saying look are these scorch marks from an explosion so yeah, him hiding it, he, he just couldn't do. And I think it was good that he didn't because, yeah, that would have led, led to people thinking it was him. Yeah, like, they decided, as he said, you know, that they have to tell the truth, but he's waited until the op- most opportune moment to tell the truth um, so that it's not going to implicate him or Boomer. No, and the way he, he phrases it, he actually makes it like saying, like, the master of arms is up holds. Yeah, and makes a point of saying, you know, we've opened an investigation, but it's likely that we'll never find out who it is. So he's immediately lowering expectations. Yeah. Yeah. So they all the raptors out and to find water on surviving planets. Um, And this ties in with um, what we know earlier from... Sharon being a Cylon, because while she's orbiting, is it was it, it was a it was a moon, weren't it? Um, so, yeah, I think it, yeah. Anyway, it was, she was orbiting somewhere, and her scanner found water. But even though she's looking at the scanner and it's flashing H two O, she's telling her Rio, "Oh no, there's nothing there." While at the same time touching the bomb. Hmm because she's fighting the programming. Yeah, I thought this was a really nice moment because she was, she so desperately wants to be human that even on a sort of unconscious level, she's trying to fight off the sleeper programming. Um, and she, you know, she eventually wins, which I thought was was nice, that just for that moment, she manages to overcome it and, and eventually see that there is water there. Yeah. Yeah, and then she, she lands back on Galactica and tells, um, you know, drops a subtle hint, go check my chair. There's something yeah. that you might find interesting. And he's, his face is like, it just, 
wonder what she's on about. Oh, my God! <laughs> <laughs> yes, big old lump of G4. <laughs> yeah, it's a GG4. But she's so, like, you know, she's so certain that he will just take care of everything as well, which is, in a way, is touching, but in other ways, concerning. Because it's like a double-edged sword. Yeah, well, she's turning to him because she trusts him and she loves him, but at the same time, she's turning to him because she can't cope on her own. And she has just no idea what way is up at the moment because she's starting to think that she is probably a Cylon and she just can't come to terms with that. Plus, I think she feels that she's got nowhere else to go as well. It's not like from what we've seen so far, she's got many other friends, especially close friends at all. No. Yeah. It was also a bit concerning her Rio's handle crashed down. Yeah. Yeah, that's not someone I'd want to fly with, someone whose handle is Crash. <laughs> <laughs> he lasts for a while longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, a while, yeah. A while yeah. longer. Yeah, what's your, what's your call sign? Crash? Yeah, I'll take someone yeah, else. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fine, I'll call me out. But yeah, I don't think she had anyone else, because the only other person that she really trusted was... Um, Hilo, but of course, as we know, he's currently back on Caprica with her double. So I just felt oh, that... I, say I know, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just felt that she didn't have anyone else that she could confide in apart from the chief. Yeah, so, and even yeah. if you did have people that you trusted a bit that you would maybe in peacetime have confided in. There, it's everyone is so on edge at the moment that even the slightest hint of possibly maybe having something to do with anything Cylon, you're immediately going to find yourself with a gun in your face. So she'd have to really, really trust Chief Turtle to be confiding in him because she's basically saying, I might be a Cylon. Yeah. Yeah. And I might have tried to blow up the ship. So. And thanks to Steve's wonderful segue, we go to the B plot, yeah. which is um, Hilo on Caprica and another Sharon, who he thinks he's he's Sharon. Yeah. Um, and you're thinking, and I'm actually at this point in in the story, I'm thinking, why? Well, no. we'd already known that they're basically monitoring him from the previous episode when she's sent to go find him. So we know they're watching, we just don't know why. It's only later on that we sort of see that they're sort of looking at sort of behaviours and things like that. Um, but yeah, as you said, you sort of look there thinking, what is all this about? Where is this leading? Yeah, because it, it, even now it still hasn't really sort of got too far. Yeah, it, at the moment he's sort of like a, a rat in a maze, and they're observing him to see how he will interact with with her. But yeah, as you say, further down the line, we find out what their their bigger motives are, um, and yeah. what they're trying to achieve from it. But it's I, I like that they they have these two storylines running in parallel that you can see. Um, Boomer on the the ship, and then Sharon, who will 
I suppose become Athena um, down on the planet and how they're both reacting. One not knowing she's a Cylon but sort of suspecting it and one knowing full well that she's a Cylon but actually becoming more human as time goes on. So I, I, like the, I always like the way that they did that. It's interesting that you use the analogy of the rat in a maze because they do give him a piece of cheese, which is the radio signal. Yes, <laughs> yeah. um, which again is, I think, set up because later on in the, ne- I think it's the next episode, um, they sort of find a place to sort of hide out, um, and yeah, I think that was all part of sort of the plan of sort of finding out how far people will go and things like that and especially as you watch further on and sort of when they get split up and it's just like which way will he go mm. um, you can see how sort of they've set as you said a sort of a rat in a maze sort of thing and just watching how <laughs> the rat will move really <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I suppose we'll get onto that in future episodes but, we will, yeah, we don't want to shoot too far ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's a bit of a strange one when you're sort of looking at it, but you can see it's in for sort of the long game with this one. Um, but what did get me was why she was taking the ra- anti-radiation shots. Um, if they're wanting to monitor him and they're short on radiation meds, why not pretend she actually had the same amount as him and pretend she was taking some of her own which she wouldn't need in order to make sure that he survived long enough to do their little trials. Because um, when they're eating, you see her take her anti-radiation shots um, when they get the transmission. Yeah, yeah. Not him. And it's just like, she knows she's a Cylon. She doesn't need them. Why is she using them? But does she not? Because they are they are very similar to humans. Um, I know that they are a bit they're more robust in some ways. You know they don't get as tired, but they are still susceptible to disease and um, fatigue and things like that. So maybe maybe the skin jobs, as they call them, maybe they do need anti radiation meds for that you know that higher level of radiation. Possibly, but the thing is, you would have thought they could have included that as part of some of the sort of dialogue. Plus, why nuke the planet to get rid of the humans if you're going to colonise the planet yourself and move in? Because if the skin jobs can't be there. So, yeah, I just took the whole thing of her shooting herself up in the neck with the anti-radiation meds as a bit strange. Because she's trying to pay a human, though. Yeah, but she could have pretended she'd taken the meds, especially if, as I said, they're wanting him to survive so they can see what it is he does and how he chooses and yeah, makes decisions. Yeah, but even if she's pretending to take the meds, she would still have to um, use up that amount somehow. Yeah, but if she'd given him, say, her the meds that she'd got, saying, right, these are my one, and um, these are your ones, I've got mine in my pocket... Yeah, yeah, then he wouldn't know whether she's taking them or not. Yeah. Exactly. Um, as I said, I just thought it was very sort of strange, and especially as part of the shot is literally just seeing her putting the anti-radiation shots in her. And it's just like, why? And mm-hmm. it was never explained away or anything else like that. And I just thought, why do that? 
But then maybe the part of the motivation for him, because you know they're they're basically leading him a merry dance. You know, they're they're making him feel like you know he's calling the shots and deciding where to go, but actually he's being led around from place to place. And uh, so maybe part of the, their motivation is the the potential running out of their ration of radiation meds, and that's the incentive to keep him going faster. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, that basically wraps up the episode, so we'll get to the trivia. Um, now, in this episode, water ties into the original battle scar, which was Bastille Day, where they both used workers, uh, i.e. prisoners, to do the dirty work. Mm-hmm. And also, according to Battlestar Wiki, which I thought this was really funny. The initial episode was to focus on a paper shortage. Yeah, I remember <laughs> hearing about that, and it's just like, really? Why would a paper shortage be a crisis? <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad I didn't go with the paper shortage. Unless that was the whole reason behind explaining why they cut the corners off the paper. Yeah, they were mulching the corners <laughs> back against making <laughs> So they just cut loads of corners off papers, pulp them, and make a piece of paper out of all the corners. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love it. Oh, I loved how, how um, like, thorough they were with that gimmick as well. Like, when you see photo frames on the shelves, and the photo frames don't have the corners either, or the, you know, ring binders, and they, they are the same shape, they don't have the corners. I'm thinking, well, have, wow. You noticed, have you noticed the hard covers of a book? He's normal. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it was just too difficult for them to mock up hard hard copies. <laughs> that was actually one of the things they said is they they added this as just something to be different. But going through the series, they found it such a hindrance to actually sort of have all these corners cut off, all these bits of paper all the way through the series. They, they really suddenly thought, Yeah, we shouldn't have done this. Yeah. yeah. Some poor runner on the set probably had to sit there with a pair of scissors day in, day out, <laughs> just cutting corners. And he would have to do them with the ruler. So like they were all exactly the same. Yeah. 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 You know there's just someone sitting there going, You've got that bit of paper. Whatever you do, don't bloody rip it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wanna reuse it. <laughs> I don't want to cut another edge of that paper again. <laughs> but they even did it with the playing cards. The playing cards had all the corners cut off. Yeah. Well, the playing cards were sort of like uh, pentagons or something, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. It's like 50p pieces. Yeah. <laughs> Which will make no sense to anyone outside the UK. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That, did, that didn't even occur to me. <laughs> Google it, people. That's what yeah. Google's for. Google English 50p or Scottish 50p, depending on where you are. It's basically the same shape. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I'm really glad they didn't do the paper one. And also, according to Gary Hutzel, the water tank was a virtual set consisting of one wall and a ramp. That's some seriously clever camera work. Yeah. Yeah, because they did all the sort of lighting from the Raptor and everything else through it as well, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So one wall and a ramp, and they made it look like a massive water tank. That was really cleverly filmed. Yeah. And it did look vast. Indeed, it looked huge. I did like the EV suits, though. 
yeah, they they looked sort of very similar to sort of what we have. Um, yeah. But a lot more sort of lightweight and manoeuvrable. <laughs> I love the way you said, like what we have, as if you've got one hanging in your wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, so where's it on Sundays? <laughs> well, I have really bad allergies, so that just allows me <laughs> to go outside. <laughs> he puts it on every day on a Sunday and goes to his son, how's your EV training? <laughs> And his son quotes Worf and says, it made me sick to my stomach. (laughs) (laughs) Do you not know Steve's reading Star Trek to his six-year-old cross? Oh, that's some good parenting right there. There you go. Well done. (laughs) Yeah, I just finished reading um, Stellar Cartography to him. Actually, he did some of the reading of it. yeah, it's funny, sort of, he gets all the sort of big words, all the sci-fi ones, but yeah, and he'll get stuck on, like, really simple ones, like, sort of, amongst, he'll just, like, completely baffle him, but yeah, he'll sort of read out, oh, that, that's the Klingon Empire, the Romulan Empire, Federation, um, Quadrant, and all these other words, and yeah, he'll get stuck on the really simple ones. <laughs> Yes, he's a Trekkie. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to know more about that, folks, if you listen to commentary Trek stars, uh, then Steve's on there telling everyone all about it. I am. Yeah. So, but we won't go any more into Star Trek. No. No. Different <laughs> podcasts. So, so that's basically water, folks. So, uh, any final thoughts? Um. Uh- I liked the way they'd got the animations for the water coming out. Yes. Um, apparently they consulted NASA. Yes. Because um, from what I think I read once um, about all that, water being exposed into space both freezes and boils. Yeah. And so they went through all that consultation in order to get that animation sort of looking right. And that did look impressive. I remember watching it thinking, that looks good. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of attention to detail for, for basically a, a scene that's like 20 seconds long. Yeah. So. Uh, any final thoughts, Raz? Yeah, I like this, um, this episode for the... It started off a lot of the relationships that will build over the coming seasons. It started off the the rivalry and the sort of tension between Baltar and Starbuck, because this is the first time that they play cards together and he whoops her all over the place. Um, it starts off the the sort of deeper relationship between Rosalind and Adama. It starts off the the trust and that bond between um, Lee Adama and Rosalind. Um, and it it kicks off the, the whole beginning of the storyline with uh, Hilo and the other Sharon, and it continues on the Shar- the Boomer and the Chief relationship. So even though really not a lot happens in this episode, you can t- sort of sum up the plot of this episode in a sentence. Um, but actually, there's a lot of character development that goes on, and it's really the first stepping stone on the road to all the future plot lines that are going to develop. So I, that, I like that about this episode. Excellent. Right, Steve, where can people find you on Twinternet? Um, they can find me on um, Twitter at MidnightShadow7, and that's night spelt N-I-T-E and the number 7. 
You got it, Ross? I can get me on Twitter at Rosalyn S, that's R-O-S-L-Y-N-S, or um, can reach me by email at Ros, R-O-Z, at visionarytrek.com. Okay, which is Rosie's other podcast, folks. Yes. Come and on. you can also find Steve <laughs> on the GNT show. Yeah, I'm part of the GNT book club, um, Book of the Celestial Temple, and I'm also part of Sweet Media's Tribbles and Ecstasy podcast. Yeah, because he doesn't sleep. <laughs> well, it only starts at 1am. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, that's all. Well, yeah. the book club starts that's later. The one that... reason why I'm not doing it is because it starts at 1am. Well, the book club starts later. That starts at 2 God. Jeepers. That's all right. I get to bed by four because I'm up at six. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm also on Twitter, folks, uh, and Google Plus uh, at colmh zero one, so you can get me an idea. And as I said at start, you can feedback to us at commentary frack stars f r a c k at gmail dot com, um, and also there's commentary frack stars on Twitter. Hollow Sweet Media is on Twitter, so you can follow both of them as well. Uh, and we'd love to hear your thoughts, uh, comments, suggestions for future episodes. Because although we're predominantly doing the episode reviews in regards to me and Steve, um, and hopefully Rosalind, if she like likes what happened today, um, <laughs> the other guys, Mike, Max, Drew, and so on, are covering other aspects of the show. So if there's an aspect of the show you want explored, just drop us a line, drop us a tweet. And, and we'll pass it on to the other guys and they can uh, tackle that little nugget for you. So, uh, thanks for coming around, Ros. No, thanks for having me. It's been good fun. You going to come back? I could be persuaded. <laughs> Excellent. There you go. Now, you heard that, folks. If she's not back, nothing to do with mainstay. <laughs> so, thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for downloading and we'll speak to you soon. Take care. Bye.